0: Can you really quick, but don't come down yet, can you just read the first line of my notes here? What does that say right there? 2019 was rough. 2019 was rough. (laughs) Doesn't, this moment just sums up how 2019 was for me. (laughs) How about for you guys? How was 2019? Okay, so just me then, okay. (laughs) Just me. 2019 was a really hard year for me. I did not like it. And I told Johanna over uh, this last week, that I said, would it be bad if I came up and said, the best part about 2019 is that it's ending? Because that's how I feel. I just, 2019 was horrible for me. And I feel like 20, the year itself just beat me up to the ground. And I I felt really sensitive and I felt really like tender um, because of 2019. You guys good? Cool. Um, just making sure you guys are good. Um, yeah, 2019 was really hard. In fact, when this sermon, I almost said no to this sermon because this is the last sermon of the year and it kind of leads us into 2020, the new year. And oftentimes this sermon is the kind of the, sets the tone for the, the new year. The, like the here's God has given us a vision for how we're going to be in 2020. And I just couldn't handle that pressure. So I almost said no because I don't want to be... Like, I don't want to have to disappoint you all by giving you a sermon that is not good enough to carry us through the year, is how I felt. And in fact, the preach team, we met, and we were talking about, and I knew what I was going to preach maybe two months ago, um, God in a, in a prayer meeting, God gave me what this sermon was going to be about, and the preach team met, and we were talking about, they were talking about their sermons that they're going to preach the next week and the week after, and uh, they asked me what I was going to preach on. I went, ah, I don't know yet. It could be anything. I want to commit to anything. And they're like, well, maybe we can do this like series that will tie in to start the new year. Like every church in America is doing because the year is 2020, we're going to do a 2020 theme, like vision, see perfect vision or whatever, because we're clever. Um, and in the conversation, I just went, I, I can't commit to that because if I'm kicking off the series, if I do poorly, I'm setting you guys up to fail. So that's just kind of how my headspace has been. How's your self-talk? Mine's pretty good, <laughs> I think. Uh, so this morning, I, I just didn't, didn't want the pressure of this being like a big deal. So I'm just going to give you what God spoke to me. And if it's good, awesome. And if it's terrible, sorry, that's just how... <laughs> we're just going to end 2019 how it's been for me this whole year. Um, so we are starting a new series called 2020 Vision, Clicker is on, and it's great. Technology is my friend today. 2020 vision, so we're, we're going to be talking um, a little bit today about where we're going, future-type stuff, um, and next week and the week after, are really going to set the, the pace for that, um, but for me, I, I think that for us to move forward, we have to look back. And so to, to sum up this year, over uh, this last week, I was with Johanna's family, and um, our cousin was there, and he doesn't keep track of social media with me. He's, he doesn't really know what's going on in my life. We're kind of uh, living separate lives. And there was a moment where we were hanging out. We were all doing our thing, and he goes, oh, Kev, he didn't say exactly these words. I can't remember exactly the phrase, but it's something to the effect of, Kevin is cool because he's a pastor. And I, it, that, like, really hurt me because I'm not a pastor anymore. I don't, I'm not on staff at Lake Sam. I. That's not my job anymore. And the reason it hurt me so much is I went, I I agree with you. When I was a pastor, I was cool. Or maybe I was, maybe I wasn't cool, but I felt cool. I felt good. I felt like I mattered. I felt like I did something that made a difference in the world. And now that I don't have that, I'm nothing. That's how I feel. And so it turns out, actually, in spite of 2019 being horrible for me, God is actually trying to do something and trying to speak something important. Because what I just said about how I feel about 2019 and what I said about how I feel about being a pastor is in there, but that's not what's true. That's not truth. And the problem is that I found my identity in what I do. And don't we all do something like this? We find our identity in so many different things. Some of them are silly. Like when I was in high school, um, I was, it was early high school, before I was a Christian, I um, was doing back to school shopping and I found a Hawaiian shirt that I really liked. And so I bought the Hawaiian shirt and then I found a second one that I, on the same day. And so I was like, now I own two Hawaiian shirts. That's awesome. I'm cool now, which again, tells you a lot about my calibration as far as coolness goes. Um, you should not listen to me when I say something is cool, because probably I'm comparing it to Hawaiian shirts, uh, and I loved these two Hawaiian shirts, and I got, I don't know if I got positive feedback from them, but I got feedback from them, and that was, that was cool for me, so I kept buying Hawaiian shirts over and over and over, and in the course of like a month or so, I ended up with 30 Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm embarrassed too. You're embarrassed for me? I get it, I feel this. We all are having this shared experience right now about past Kevin and his Hawaiian shirts. But that meant that I could wear a different one every day for the, for the month. <laughs> and then I do laundry once a month and then I have a, a whole new set of clean clothes uh, so I could wear one shirt 12 times. <laughs> but that was who I was. That was how I found my identity. And I'm the Hawaiian shirt guy. And then shortly after that I realized maybe this isn't as cool as I thought. I just see that like half the room is like, why should I listen to anything you say after what you just said? (laughs) Hawaiian shirt guy. Uh, So um, uh, shortly after that I realized maybe Hawaiian shirts aren't the greatest thing to put your identity in and also they're not that cool. Also I was in Colorado so there's nothing like, it's not tropical. (laughs) There's no reason to wear one. I'm not in Hawaii. I'm not in California. It was in Colorado when it was cold. Uh, so I eventually grew out of that phase. And in church camp, my very first year of church camp, um, I started wearing like sleeveless shirts and tank top type stuff. And uh, someone made a comment of like, oh, you're half Mexican, so you don't burn easily. And I was like, that's true. Uh, I don't burn easily. That's who I am. And so to prove that, I'm not going to wear sunscreen this entire trip in Colorado, in the mountains, in the summer. So high altitude, really hot, shoulders are bare <laughs> pretty much the entire week. So by the end of the week, I end up with these beautiful second-degree sunburns that blister, and it was terrible. It was horrible. But that was, that was what I found my identity in, is I'm the guy who doesn't have to wear sunscreen because I'm half Mexican, which also turns out not to be true. <laughs> I mean, it's true that I'm half Mexican. <laughs> We did, (laughs) I did an ancestry test, turns out. No, just kidding. Um, uh, Yeah, so we find our, I find my identity oftentimes in really dumb things. And maybe for you, it's not Hawaiian shirts and being half Mexican and not burning, but it is something, right? Like maybe it's, uh, oh, I'm the kind of person who always works for a reputable company. I'm the kind of person um, who uh, always goes to church early. I'm the kind of person who, fill in the blank, I'm this kind of person. Or more uh, to the point, we find our identity in, in who we're not. I'm not a blank kind of person. And these are things that I've heard uh, Anna also th- said or thought. I'm not right-brained, which I find hilarious. In the music community, like, so if you're left bra- primarily predominantly left think- brain thinking, you're like logical, line-by-line, And that's a helpful thing to know. And if you're right-brained, you're more creative. And so in the music world, we'll say like, can you do that with more of like brilliance? And if you're right-brained thinking, you're like, absolutely, I'm in. And if you're left-brained like, so you want me to like stand like this differently? Like, tell me what to do. But so people will say, sorry, I'm not right-brained. And I say, have you had brain surgery? No, then you are right, you do have both brains. You are right-brained, it turns out. You just might be predominantly left, but you do have both brains. I'm not creative, whatever that means. I'm not a worship person. When we talk about experiencing God, I'm just not a worship person. I'm not an intellectual. Don't come at me with your smart stuff, and I can't do deep thinking. I'm not an intellectual. I'm not an extrovert. And I added this primarily for Justine. I'm not the right Enneagram number. And substitute that with any personality thing you like. I'm not the right disc combination. I'm not the right strength. I don't have the right strengths finders. And some of these are actually really good information to know, right? Like if you're primarily a left-brained thinker, it's helpful to know I'm not pre- predominantly right-brained. I have a hard time thinking creatively. It's good to know that I'm not an extrovert. People drain me, so I have to do some extra work to be around people. That's good information to know. <laughs> Right? It's, it's helpful. You feel like, oh, I'm not, I'm not crazy. I'm not weird. It's just an aspect of my personality. Maybe you are crazy and weird, but it's not because of that. See, a lot of these are really helpful to know, but the problem is they're only a shadow of what is actually true about you. They're helpful as a tool, but they're terrible as a crutch. Right? And so if you, if you become the kind of person who's like, oh, Enneagram is really helpful to me because it helps me understand why I do the things I do, that seems good. But if you become the kind of person who's like, well, I can't do that because I'm a seven. I'm an Enneagram seven. Oh, you don't understand me because I'm an Enneagram seven. Oh, because of this Enneagram number, I, I've just put myself in a box that determines what I can and can't do. A lot of these are very limiting. And uh, so C.S. Lewis writes this quote that I love. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. So I think so often we put our identity in things that don't actually matter. We're like that, that kid who, who is making mud pies and are, that we think that's all life is. This is who I am. But God has this much larger, bigger picture in mind. And so this morning, we're going to talk about um, who we actually are and why that actually matters. And uh, we're going to find that to move forward, we actually have to look back and we, we can't we can't go into 2020 and do what God's going to ask us to do if we don't break free from the things that are holding us back. So that's where we're going. Adam's writing a furiously. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, okay, so we're going to have um, John Batterman pray. Uh, thanks for praying for this sermon. Thanks for praying for me. Um, lift up another church, and that'll be good.
1: Father God, we are so grateful to be here, and Father God, we desire deeply to know you more, to see you yet a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. Would you just stir up in us, Lord, today um, what it is that you would want us to hear, a passion to draw closer to you, to go deeper with you mm-hmm. as a church and as individuals this coming year, Lord. Amen. Um, we do pray for Kevin, pray for your anointing on him, that uh, he would be able to speak that which you would have us here today. Mm-hmm. Father, prepare our hearts, stir us up, Lord, to, uh, to go hard after you this year. Father, just pray for Kurt and Julie as they are away. We pray that you would refresh them, protect them, mm-hmm. um, just heal their hearts after a really tough year, Lord and uh, bring them back to us refreshed uh, just pray for the halls and their work and church over in tanzania lord that you would light in them a, a fresh vision a fresh passion lord to do the things that you've called them to do as they bring light into um, some dark places we re- rejoice and we thank you father for your love and your passion and your goodness toward us, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Speaking of identity, I'm drinking black coffee. And that's so I like. I'm the black coffee drinker guy. And all the young people in my life just go, okay, boomer. <laughs> I love black coffee. It's so good. Okay. So the Gospel of John is of... There's, so there's four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John is my favorite and for some reason, when people first become a Christian, we throw John at them. Like, oh, read the book of John and then come back. Um, and it's, to me, it's the, like, the most, it's the worst book to start out with. I think Luke or, or Matthew or any of the other Gospels are better, better like, starting point. But I love the book of John, um, just because of how John communicates ideas. And he starts his book out um, by talking about, that in the beginning, Jesus was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he says this. He, talking about Jesus, came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and they even rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave him the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And so um, there's this phrase that we use all the time. We sing about it, we talk about it, we say it, and I think it's lost its meaning because of it, partially, for some of us. Um, There's just certain things, like, if we talk about them and we don't remember that these words mean something, it can lose value. And I think we do that with the cross sometimes, right? Where we we, we talk so much about, like, thanks, Jesus, for what you did on the cross. Hey, the cross is great. Yeah, the cross, the cross, the cross. That we can just, like, say it flippantly, and it just becomes a thing. Like, oh, yeah, Jesus on the cross. No, it's like, Jesus on the cross. Like, that means something. And I never want to make that just flippant. And there's this other idea that's in this passage um, that I love that we say all the time and it's that we we become children of God. And what does that mean anymore? Because we just say it so often. Oh yeah, I'm a child of God. We sing, I am a child of God um, over and over and over. But if we actually like stop and think about that, I think that's pretty profound. Like God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the Alpha, the Omega, the one who just with his just spoke with his words, not even with physical matter, just spoke, and physical matter happened, right? Like, that's God, and we have the opportunity to become his children. Like, that's, that's incredible. That's strange. That's unusual to be a child of God. Some of the, the prophetic words that were given earlier were, uh, when, when they were saying it, I was like, okay, this is not really what my sermon's about, but in a way, it kind of is. Uh, we're talking about like we have the, the when we're in the womb to when we're on the earth, and then when we're in the earth into heaven. And I don't really like talking about heaven a whole lot because it's, it's kind of this like ethereal, future y thing. Um, for me, what I find more helpful is there's, the, there's when you're born, then there's the life you live, and then there's when you come to know Jesus. And your life gets transformed, and then you have this new life, this transformed life. And I think that's the beginning of heaven. That's where heaven starts is when you first become you know, God for the first time. And so you become a child of God. I think that's incredible. And so I, uh, as I said, this sermon I didn't really want to do because I didn't want the pressure and I didn't, I didn't want to let everyone down, which is how I was feeling. Um, and I was preach, I did this preach call with Kurt, and again, I, I knew what I was going to preach months ago, and I have in my notes all these scriptures that I ended up not using today. Um, And at the end of the preach call, Kurt went, Kev, uh, you weren't here for Christmas Eve, were you? And I was like, no, I I was leading worship at another church. Um, I I missed Christmas Eve. I'll I'll have to to catch it on the the live stream or the video. And he's like, no, we didn't record it. Okay, well, then I guess I missed it. And he's like, yeah, here's what you missed. Um, For Christmas Eve, I talked about being a child of God. And I talked. To, I just read scriptures over the people that were in the room, and, and he emailed me this list, and you can't read this because it's just a screenshot from my computer, and I wouldn't expect you to, but the first scripture is John chapter 1, what I just read, and that's in my notes. First John is in my notes. We're not going to go over it today, but it's, it's talking about how he made us his own beloved children. Ephesians, we're not using that passage in Ephesians, but that's in my notes of what I was gonna, I could have talked about is how we're we're a child of God. Romans, we're gonna get there later um, because you know how I feel about Romans. I love it, Um, but that's in my notes. Galatians, talking about we've become children of God. Hebrews, that's not, that one wasn't in my notes because I don't love Hebrews, but. uh, (laughs) uh, I I probably should give it a fair chance though because I'm just kind of biased. Paul probably didn't write that one and I love Paul, so anyway, uh, and, then, and then more Romans, it was just very confirming to me, of like, oh, clearly God wants us to, to get this point, and clearly we haven't quite grabbed the depth of meaning yet, that we're his children. You're God's kid, and that matters, to know that. So here's Romans. You're not controlled. This is a letter that Paul wrote to Rome, um, And there's a whole lead up to Romans. This is chapter eight, so it's about halfway through. It says, you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, He will give you life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful desire or your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Now, there's more. We gonna get to, but I want to pause here for a second because uh, in the past, in the, and Kurt's talked about this for years, but we we keep bringing this up because it seems to be helpful for this season of where we find ourselves. Um, this definition of sin. In the past, people defined sin as oh, like don't kill people. Like if you kill someone and you um, steal something and you have sex outside of marriage, like that's sin, and that's it. <laughs> or there's, there's like a few others like that, and those are sin but it's not sin just because those are bad. We've defined sin this, in this way, not doing the thing that God asks you to do, not living how God wants you to live, not doing the thing God wants you to do, or doing the thing God tells you not to do. And that's, for, there, for, there's some things like those, like killing people and stealing things that are universally true, right? For all of us, that is sin. And then there's other things that are individual. For, for me, this is sin. For you, it may not be. And the an example that I've used in other sermons is voiceover. I was, I was a voiceover artist for a, a number of years, and it became pretty clear um, that God told me, I don't want you to do that anymore. In fact, I never wanted you to do it. You, I told you no, and you did it anyway. So for me, doing, pursuing a career in voiceover is sin. Voiceover is neutral. It's not sinful. It's not Unsinful. It's just a thing that you could do. And if God's asking you to do it or he doesn't give you an opinion about it, go have fun. It's fine. But for me, to do voiceover is sin. Does that make sense? So it's just doing whatever God is telling you not to do or doing something, doing what he tells you not to do or not doing what he says to do is sin. And so I have just always had this feeling of like, there's me kind of here like this, and then there's like sin that's like this, that's like kind of looming over me. And I'm kind of powerless to it, except that behind me there's like the spirit of God that's like, ha ha, I got you, I'm bigger than you. And in this, in this example, the big one always wins, So <laughs> I guess. Um, so, but I'm, I'm still down here, and so if it's just me and the sin nature thing, I'm going to lose every time. And there's just, there's just nothing I can do. I'm just, I'm, I can't fight it. What this suggests, and I find this really encouraging, is that we actually have the power of the Spirit in us. So this right here is not who I am. This is not the reality that I find myself in. The reality I find myself in is this one, the looming one with the Spirit of God in it, where the sin is over here. Not I'm, I'm bigger than you. I got this. And so actually, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. I think that's really cool. I think that's really encouraging because it means that if God asks me to do something, there's actually a chance I can do it, (laughs) right? And it's not like, oh, I'm a failure except the spirit in me is kind of cool so sometimes I get it right. No, we're children of God. That's who we are. And because of that, we can actually do the things he's asking us to do, and we can actually avoid the things he's asking us not to do. That's in us. We're children of God. Anyway, I just think that's, that's super cool. So it continues. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we're his children... We're his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But for to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. So I've talked before about adoption um, in a a couple other sermons. I'm not going to do it again. Um, But I think being an heir is really important. And knowing that we are now his kid means that we are now his heir. So my dad is really cool. I love my dad. Um and he's smart, and he's clever, and he was a good dad. He's always been a good dad. Um, and in fact, my, I've said before, my parents divorced when I was six, and my parents did divorce. Divorce is terrible, and if you can avoid it, avoid it. But if you're going to do it, do it like my parents did, because they were awesome. They had a united front the entire time. Um, they didn't use us as pawns against each other. They just were both people of character. And it was, it's just a great, I had a great upbringing. I also couldn't tell you for the longest time what my dad did for work because it was too smart for me. And he, there's like six jobs that, that kids know, right? Like doctor, lawyer, cop, firefighter, pilot, astronaut. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's a certain income level where those jobs change. <laughs> um, astronaut was outside of mine. Um, but he wasn't one of those, so I was like, I, don't, I have no idea what my dad does, I just know he's like really smart. And that was true. Uh, he, I, as I got older, I learned like, he was a kind of an engineer. Um, so there's like companies that do like satellites, like Lockheed Martin is one. Um, I don't know others, but there's a, a bunch of them in that category, and they, they make, like, satellites and, and stuff. And then they contract out sub-companies to do, like, actually make the thing and make do training on it and do stuff like that. And my dad is that in that level. So he tells Lockheed Martin, here's how you should build your satellite. Um, here's, like, the diagram for how to do it. And then he teaches them how to use the tool that he made. So he's super smart, uh, is great at his job, has a high level of integrity, um, and there was a, a time where a, a number of years ago where I was like, oh, that's really cool. I want to do that, and my dad owns his own, own company, and so there's a, a chance where I could do that, and so I started to learn about my dad and what he does for work and all these things, and it became very qu- quickly apparent that I'm not smart enough to do that. <laughs> like, he's he does things that I am just, I'll never understand. He's he's just a, a whole other level. Um, But if I wanted to, if I wanted to take over the family business, I could do it. But there's a certain set of skills I'd have to learn. And there's a certain type of character I'd have to become like if I wanted to be successful at the family business. And there's certain activities that I could do that wouldn't, that would be great, but they wouldn't help me. So if I was going to go to be a part of my dad's family business, if I went back to school to be a lawyer, that's cool, that's great. That's not helping me with the family business. That's a different, that's a side project. Or if I went uh, back to school to be a doctor, that's a great profession, not the family business. If I went back to be a teacher, well, that's, we're, we're getting closer, there's a teaching element. Not directly related, but kind of tangentially related, so that would help me in the family business, but it's not like exactly what the family business is about. If I wanna be part of the family business, I have to learn from my dad. And he would probably give me stuff to do like, if you want to actually be successful in this business, read this. If you want to be successful in this business, go to school for this specialization, if you're gonna go back to school. Uh, if you, oh, if you want to be successful in the family business, you should know these people and spend some time with these people. I think you can see where I'm going with this. We are heirs. We're God's kid. He's our dad, and he's a good dad. And he has a family business for you and for me. We're heirs of that business. But it's a specific kind of business. And there's certain things that we can do that will make us more in line to take over the family business. And there's certain other things that are great things that are totally reasonable, totally fine. But if you wanna take over the family business, you're not doing that. If you wanna be just do your own thing, then fine. Go do that. But if you want to be part of the family business, if you want to be an heir, if, if you want to, I mean, you're going to be his, his kid no matter what, but if you want to actually own that identity and move forward in it, then you have to do this instead. You know, we use this word all the time in the church called calling. And I used to use this term all the time. Like, what are you called to do? What's God calling you to? And as I, as I get older, I've, I've moved away from using that term because I think it's, it's too loaded, in my opinion. Like, it's like, like so, if someone was like, what's God's calling for your life? You're like, I have to figure out what I'm doing for the rest of my life. Like, my divine purpose sent from heaven that is, is going to determine the whole, like, space of my life. I don't know. That, like, I just wanted a burrito. Like, I can't, I can't handle that kind of level of question. My calling? Like, that's just too much. But I also find that when people like, think that they're in their calling, they can become very difficult to work with, right? Like if someone's like, oh, well, I'm just doing what I'm called to do. And you're like, well, I'm trying to actually correct you because what you're doing is not biblical. Or yeah, I'm, I'm, because I love you, I, I want you to consider that maybe there's another way to do what you're doing. But if someone has this like, stubborn refusal because like, I'm in my calling. So I just don't use the word calling anymore. And if you've struggled with calling... Like me, like what, what's God calling me to do? I actually have really good news for you because there is a calling. God does have, uses the, word, the term calling in the New Testament all the time. And it's quite simple, actually. Here's what, here's what you're called to do. Here's your calling. I'm about to solve your life for you like I've solved my own, <laughs> clearly. Um, here's your calling. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. This is Jesus talking. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? So here's what your calling is give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. That's it. That's your calling. That's why you're here, that's why you're put on this earth. That's all you have to focus on. Now when, you, when that works itself out in your life, it may look like being a doctor or a lawyer or making games for a living or being a programmer or being a pastor or being working on a ministry team or building a relationship with people. It, it, it plays itself out in various ways. But those various ways that it plays itself out is not who you are. It's not your identity. Those things will fail you if you put your hope and your trust in those other things. You're just following your calling, which is to follow Jesus. And in in your calling, he's going to ask you to do certain things. And if you care about your job, and if you care about your family, and if you care about all these other things, of course we care about them, but if we put our identity in them and our hope in them, and we we make that more important than our calling, then we're going to miss it. Ephesians, Paul writes this letter to Ephesus, and this is about halfway through. He says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there's one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. So you thought that the path you were gonna take was, was towards happiness. You thought the path you were taking was towards the American dream, whatever that is. You thought this path was gonna lead you to a, a contentment. To a, a, you thought this path was gonna lead you to more stuff. Friends, this isn't the path we're on. We're not aspiring to happiness, sorry. We're not aspiring to more things. We're not aspiring for status. We're not aspiring to more followers on Instagram. That's just not the path we're on. And if that's the path you want to go on, I'm sorry, but that's not the family business. That's not who we are. We're called to deny ourselves, which means sometimes God's going to ask us to do things we don't want to do which means God's going to ask us sometimes to do things that are not in your personality. If you're left brain, God's going to ask you to do a right brain thing sometimes. Sometimes God's going to ask you to to do something that's going to put your job at risk. It's going to put your family at risk. It's going to cost you some things. Ask me how I know. That's been 2019. God has asked Johanna and I to do things that have cost us. But let me tell you, it's better, it's just a better way to live. I'm not in it for happiness, I'm not in it for stuff, I'm not in it for status, I'm not in it for social media, I'm not in it for being a cool pastor. I'm in it to be his follower and that's who I am. And that matters, I'm his child. That's who you are. So I'm not a blank person. It's so limiting, isn't it? If you've ever taken one of those personality tests and you start to evaluate them in terms of Jesus, or you don't even have to use Jesus when he was on earth, but use God just in reading through the Bible and, and understanding God's personality. This doesn't work with humans, because if I read Enneagram, I go, there's one that I really say that's me, and the one's next to it, I'm like, that's kind of like me. And then a lot of them are not like me, you go through an Enneagram and go, God's a one. Yeah, well, he's also a two. Yeah, well, he's also a three. Well, he's also a seven. Well, he's also an eight, he's all of them. You look at, do strength finders, and you see God, God is perfectly relational. He's perfectly inclusive. He's perfectly, what are, what are your top five? God's got them in his top five. Because, yeah, he's outside of time, so he can, he can do math in a different way than we do. <laughs> he's infinite. Do your disc tests. That's, or whatever personality test you want to do. And you'll see God scores perfectly high in all of them because he is so much bigger than you and so much bigger than me and so much bigger than our tests and our boxes that we put him in. And you are called to be his child, which means you're going to be like Jesus. That's what this road leads to is transformation. And if, that, if you're going to be like Jesus, that means there are certain parts of yourself that you are going to become less like. Sometimes you're going to be a certain Enneagram number and God is going to ask you to do something that is of a different number, strength. Sometimes God is going to ask you to do something that is in your bottom five of your strength finders. Sometimes God is going to ask you to do something that is wildly uncomfortable to you. But it's to transform you. And it's to what we were talking about in the prophetic word, to bring the kingdom of God, bring heaven here to earth now. Because you can't break into the new thing if you don't break free from the old. See, I think in 2020, God is gonna ask you to do things that he's never asked you to do before. He's gonna take you places that you've never been before. He's gonna transform your life in a way that he never has before. And you are gonna make a difference in the world in a way you've never made a difference before. I think that's the path we're going to. But to do that, we have to remove ourselves from the identity that we have been lied to, that we've attached ourselves previously to. You're not your job. You're not your family. You are not whether your house is clean or dirty or nice or not nice. You're not your car. You're not the circle of friends you hang out with. You're not your Instagram followers. You're not the last party you threw. You're not your hobbies. You're not your ministry. You are none of those things. That is not who you are. You are a child of God. You are an heir to the family business and he has great things planned for you. So as the worship team comes back up, let's just sit in this question because this question is a lie. I'm not a blank person. Let's ask God. God, for me, what have I been saying that's not true about who I am? And God, if that's not true, what are you asking me to do that I've been resisting, sinning, you might say, because you've been asking me to do something and I'm not doing it? What are you actually asking me to do, because I'm called to be your follower? So Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you for who we are, actually. Thank you that you have a plan to set us free from the bondage of uh, all these lies that we believe. Thank you that our identity is not in our job or anything else. It's not in Hawaiian shirts, it's not in anything, except that we are your child. Thank you that you love us unconditionally. And thank you that you have a plan for our lives. God, I'm asking for each person in this room, including me, would you reveal this, the areas where we have limited ourselves? Because we've said, oh, I'm just not that kind of person. God, would you bring those things to mind and would you speak truth in that lie? God, I'm asking right now for anyone who's had a year like I've had for comfort. God, I'm asking that uh, I thank, actually I'm just thankful that in the midst of transition, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of uh, just our lives, you have a plan and a purpose. And so I am choosing right now to to embrace my calling, deny myself, take up my cross, and follow you. Go ahead and reach down in front of you.